Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and I've got Lisa Murphy with me today. Yay! Yay! Thanks for having me back. Oh, I'm excited. We're going to talk about a quote from the book, The Plays the Thing, which is by Elizabeth Jones and, oh, is it Gretchen Reynolds? Gretchen yes, Reynolds. Yes, ma'am. So um, the quote we're specifically going to talk about is, Teachers Teach. They sit children in circles, lead finger plays, and talk about the calendar. They tell children the rules for using the slide and for avoiding collision with the tricycles. Which is super little blip in a great paragraph, but I don't want to turn well, the podcast yeah. into just an audiobook. <laughs> right? Well, it's funny because I'm going to. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> when, when I reread that, I was like, okay, I get where you're going with that. Uh-huh. However, I think the context of pulling that out of context uh-huh. needs to at least be tossed out sure. there that in the paragraph prior to that, they're pretty much saying that the complete opposite of that is what should be happening. Right. Um, so I, I, I would hate for listeners to think that somehow the authors are implying that that is what teachers do. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I looked at the quote and I was like, well, I know that our conversation will bring out what they're trying to say. But, yeah, that's yes, important, yes. too, to make sure people know that this is not another rigorous DAP situation. <laughs> exactly. God forbid. Um, I don't think I've recovered from the first. Uh, oh. No, no, no. So, um, but but this this is. Um, tell me why you picked this, because. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I picked it because um, in some recent conversations but also just in uh my current current job some things that came up with this last semester um just really reinforced the idea that there are um sort of cultural teacher scripts in everybody's head about what teaching looks like and if an early childhood program doesn't fall into that scope um it just really throws everyone and it doesn't matter sometimes how much, you know, rationale evidence. you provide and evidence that you provide. If it doesn't fit in this, this teacher script of circle time and calendars and rules and teacher as uh, the one with all the power, um, then it's, it's dismissed and, and there's all kinds of um, argument about it. So when we push back against the the those scripts, yeah, um, it it definitely makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, in in oh, so of course I'm writing down everything that jumped <laughs> in my head while you were saying that. Yeah. Of course, it's reminding me of of how Bev Boz and Dan Hodgins talked about the spells that we're under as oh, teachers. Oh, I, I think like that. that. Yeah, I actually uh, I plopped some of that in the new book, so I'm I'm excited to see how that is. Uh, you know, my my language is drinking the Kool Aid, but I I think sure. many of us who are out there have kind of developed our own verbiage, but it's essentially around the same mm-hmm. thing. Is that where where did that come from, yeah. and 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 why are we trying to keep kids? I, 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 the image I get in my head is is trying to push the the square peg into the round hole, so to speak, and. Mm-hmm. 
And I actually even had a lady yesterday call me and said, she goes, I want to book a workshop where you talk to people about why they think the things that they do. She's like, can you do that? I'm like, oh, I would love to do that. Oh, please invite me. (laughs) I know, right? And and, uh, anyway, so I'm I'm really looking forward uh, to doing that. Mm -hmm. And I I think that it's our job to continue to push back. Um, One of the things that I have gotten really good at saying in the workshops, I think good, and and I think it's just because you have practice of saying it, Mm -hmm. is that I will have the philosophical debate with you another time. Like, like shelve DAP for one quick second. I just expect you to be able to articulate clearly and confidently why you're doing that. Why are you engaged in that behavior? And, and, And my three questions, and I think we've brought it up numerous times, Heather, both personally and even on your podcast uh-huh. is the, you know, what are you doing and why are you doing it? And and who is it for? Uh-huh. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're doing circle time, that's not the hill I'm going to die on. But if you don't really know why you're doing circle time, yeah. that is a hill exactly. that I'm going to die on. And, and so for me, it comes back to that, that in, intentionality. And I think also making room for the fact that, um, and even you and I and, and our circle of, of colleagues and peers, we talk about the time before we knew better. Mm-hmm. And and so it's it's not any shame or judgment or finger pointing. But one of the reasons I think and I, I'm speaking for all of us, perhaps incorrectly, I can <laughs> probably only speak for myself, is one of the reasons that we had that before we knew better time and the time that we feel we did knew better is because we did start questioning right. those expectations. Right. And and so I think that that challenging and that questioning, whether it comes from our own personal levels of self-awareness and self-investigation or if it's from a colleague. Mm-hmm. But but it was something that made us start to think about why we were doing what we were doing. And that is what allowed us to come to the other side, right. which is imply that you're ever done, but it helps you push, get through. Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, Laura Spillman and I just recorded an episode yesterday about cleanup time and it kind of, we kind of got into this same area and, and it, so the conversation reminded me of my own, uh, sort of <clears throat> evolution of being mm-hmm. under a certain spell, you know, of course, cleanup time is part of early childhood programs. So my only conversation was how do we get it? How do we get it to happen? And, um, you know, Dan prodded me a little bit to think about, okay, well, why are we even worried about it happening? Exactly. And, um, and those three questions that you ask all the time definitely came into that conversation that what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Who is it for? Um, and, and I mean, honestly, how, do you, you have to be, I think, really brave and reflective uh, to be a person who could look at um, like, circle time if that's something that you feel really strongly about and say, yeah, I am just doing it for me because I feel more like a teacher when I do that. Um, and I think when teachers are very honest and uh-huh. sometimes we're able to get to that point in a conference, not always because sometimes there's hundreds and hundreds of people there, but uh-huh. sometimes we can get to that point where people are are able to just say, you know what? I have a fucking master's degree, <laughs> and that's the only time I feel that I'm able to use it. Right. Okay, valid, appreciate the disclosure, and let's link you back to some more of that evidence and the research that talks about how it's not developmentally appropriate. Right. So, you know, let's def- let's unpack what you mean by being a teacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I think just continuing to use that word keeps us stuck Absolutely. in that spot. Yep. Um, I, I, I have... 
I can't say always because that would be lying, but <laughs> I I like facilitator. I, I I like that. I mean, and I'm sure there's pros and cons to every word or every label, but right. I see that my job is not that teach mug jug. You know, I got all the knowledge and it's my job to stuff it in your brain. That I broke up with a long time ago and the word that fit to me is facilitating. Right. And I but can get behind comes, that. I, say again, sorry. I can get behind that. Facilitator. Mm-hmm. And, and really, if you even push through that a little more, I actually think that whatever the word would be for the actual setting up of the space, uh-huh. that that is actually what I feel I do well. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I've never really claimed to be a good teacher, but I'm really good at setting up an environment where children know they can be a child. Right. And I think I think we've talked about this before because I feel like um, that's one of my strengths, too. But then also building relationships. Yes. And, oh, we and talk. Yes. yes. And yes. with yes. those two things, learning happens. And it's not, you know, because I sat people down in a circle and forced them to go through these rituals that we force kids to go through. Yeah. It's it's, it's because of all well, there's a morning. And- and you know, I, I'll I'll take the conversation down a notch, even with that. I think you know when you when you realize that you were only just going through the motions, but maybe you were doing it for twenty years, and now you're like, damn, shoot, you know, wow. And and I've had people get very frustrated and say things like, you know, I didn't know any better, and oh my god, did I was was I hurting any you know and harm, and oh my god, and did I ruin the children, right. and and you know, no, you, you, you didn't, but you didn't know any better. Yeah. Right. But if you know better and still stay there, that's when I get a little more crabby. Sure, sure. Me too. And I, I, I think part of the difficulty in, I'll just say changing anyone's mind about being a teacher in the way that was described in this quote is that all of us are, most of us are here with good intentions and Correct. genuine um, concern for children and, and care for children. Liking for children, I think, is a different thing. I think you can be concerned about and care about without liking. <laughs> I, I agree. And, and still be in the field and do the work. Um, because then and, you have wait, to... Let me keep your thought, but let yeah. me add to that. And that, I believe, is true. And you're still able to create rich, deep relationships. Oh, really? Without I, I think I think you can still do that. But maybe that's another podcast. That could be. <laughs> um, let's see. Where was I going with that? Oh, so so when we suggest then that there's a different way to do things or that evidence supports a different way of doing things or, do, you know, specifically doesn't support calendar time, we'll say, for three and four-year-olds, um, that's where their mind goes is, oh, you're saying I'm hurting children. And that's a that's an impossible place to start a conversation from. Exactly. When we all want what's best. So one of the things that happened to me this this semester at work was um, some of the the grad students who were who were working with me had some experiences in more traditional preschool classrooms. Like you know, one's mom was a preschool teacher, and one did an internship in a preschool that was part of a public school system, and it, it was very the way they described it was very traditional. What we would think of as preschool circle time and calendar time and timeouts, and um, so so they wanted to you know incorporate those things, and I. I tried to be very respectful and I just said, well, that is traditionally what a lot of preschools look like. Here's why I do the things I do without saying anything against, you know, I just, you know, um, so I, you know, I shared a, 
a short podcast with Ray Pika and Heather Shoemaker about how calendar time isn't the most effective way to do math <laughs> with children and, um, you know, research about time out and how ineffective it is. And um, so this is why I do these other things. And, and it just, it, it was really messy. Um, and, and they weren't even necessarily people who were in the field. Right. Um, so what but, I will say to that for, for people who are in the field is, mm-hmm. is it, it is occasionally easier for people to start embracing that different mindset when you have those resources like what you did link them up to. I think that avoids... Because it's not it, just it, Lisa's idea versus Heather's exactly. idea. And, and you knew where I was going to go with that. It's not my personal preference. You know, here's 99 other people and, and articles that are saying exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think on a on an emotional level, sometimes those those things, the calendar and circle and timeout chairs, that's, that's, that's all they got. Mm-hmm. And now somebody's coming in and saying essentially... You know, I'm, and it's a metaphor, you know, I'm going to take all your tools away yeah. from you and still expect you to, to do your job. And I think that leaves some professionals in the field floundering. Of like, course. that's all I have. I know no different. And you're telling me I can't do it. Now I'm scrambling. And yeah. I think that's sometimes the resistance Absolutely. as well. And I compare it a lot of times to, um, you know, when we talk about children and behaviors, we'd like to stop. That you know, we we often will say, well, you can't just tell them what not to do. You have to tell right. them what you want them to do, exactly, and teach them how to do that. And it's you know, it's the same thing. There's so many parallels between what's appropriate and effective with children and what we should be doing <laughs> with adults in the field. And and I like to think that, and and this might sound self-serving or bratty, I don't know, but I like to think that that's what's <laughs> happening in the workshops. Sure. You know, and and it's it's very subtle and it's very I, I would I wouldn't say subliminal because <laughs> it's, it's but it it is subtly intentional. Uh-huh. You know, if I'm up there talking about being flexible and you're sitting there freaking out because the stupid schedule somebody gave you said break was supposed to be five minutes ago and I'm kind of relaxed, cool and confident with it. You, you, some people notice they're like, uh-huh. wow, you, you kind of run the workshop the way. We should, and it's not should be running the classroom, uh-huh. but, but I'm trying to plop when it's appropriate. I mean, right. I don't, I don't make it happen, but if, if it comes to pass, I don't point it out, uh-huh. but occasionally somebody will come up and be like, you kind of are running it the way that we, oh, and the angels sing. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you got it. You don't ever have to come back again. <laughs> Just go back and start doing it now. Awesome. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was looking ahead at the the other the other the broader context of the quote to see if there was anything that I wanted to to add in there. I just uh, it's it's hard for me to not be grouchy about um, bless you, thank uh, you <laughs> about uh. I guess it's kind of what you said what you said earlier when you know we do the best we can until we know better and then you know when we know better we do better um but then there's there there are people who are like no I'm going to keep doing it my way and that's so hard for me to wrap my mind around it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that as a profession we still tolerate it and this yes, is where I yes. do see even my voice drops a little register because <laughs> I get like 
And 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 I I have started using the words educational malpractice, oh, unethical. Beautiful. I mean, I straight up I'm like, why are we tolerating bad practice? Mm-hmm. We're sending mixed messages out of one side of our mouth. We're saying that this is what we want, but you're allowing this kind of nonsense over here to continue happening. Right. You know, and I never want to sell I'm not admin or director shaming because I'm not. Um However, <laughs> you're, the co-teacher is in no position to put that person on some kind of a behavior reframing, you know, got to start meeting and consulting coaching plan. Yeah. You know, you are. So right. what's, the, what's the barrier there? Right. You know, and, and I'm really sick and tired of directors being scared of the matriarch who's been there and been allowed to get away with with bad practice. Yeah. for 20 Oh, my years. God. How common is that? That drives me bonkers. And why are you scared of her? And everybody's got at least one. <laughs> Everybody has somebody that they're scared of. Yeah. And well, and yeah, it came up at the other at a gig a couple of weeks ago. And it's it was weird. I I don't think I've ever said this at a at a workshop before. It was like my brain opened, my mouth opened, <laughs> and out came. Well, that's because you're afraid of that kid. Oh yeah. So that you know, I, it's the same dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all you're scared of them for whatever reason. Right. Right. And so if I, you have an administrative team that is scared of half of their staff, right. or intimidated by half of their staff, I mean that. That needs to be unpacked. And I don't know who directors go to unpack that to. Right. Other I, don't, directors? I don't either. Um, but what I hear a lot is, well, there's such a staffing shortage. If I get, you know, if I, if, if I get rid of this one, um, it's going to be hard to replace her. But you're going to lose yeah. other people who are tired of working with her or tired of seeing the daily disconnect between what the philosophy of the program is and what you're seeing actually happening. Um, and and you know what I would like to maybe even open that up to the group and get some input on that cuz that the thing I've heard from directors just like uh-huh. you just said is that they're in these like deserts of quality you know there's yeah. nothing there and so this is it it's this is the best that I have and so then of course the extremist in me is like well then I guess you can't have I guess you can't be open <laughs> you know or I guess that you might have you, you might have slots for for 49 people uh-huh. but you're only going to have 20 because you only really have two good staff. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know what would happen with that. But I, I, I think sometimes we're too scared to draw the line in the sand. Yeah. I think sometimes we, we don't. I think what, what sometimes really needs to happen for us to get to where we claim we want to be as a profession uh-huh. scares the shit out of a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think it goes higher than just administrators of individual programs. I have, um, as everybody knows, as I've mentioned ad nauseum, uh, you know, been in, in college for seven years now working on these various degrees and it's all been early childhood focused, but there's like, mm, it's very rare that the reality of what the diverse childcare system really looks like is ever brought into these classes. And yes. most of the time there's maybe a chapter about infants and toddlers all lumped in together. Um, but most of the time it all focuses on four and five year olds and the things that are being described are like Head Start or public school preschool programs. And, um, and the practices being described in the lesson plans that, that people are being asked to complete for these classes are very much this teacher script yeah that we've the been spells. Talking, the spells and and how do you how do you argue with that when you say okay you have to have a degree to work in my high quality program 
Um, but the then, degree that you got is crap prepared you for a not so high quality. Yeah, well, it's I'm really that... tricky. And I, I used educational malpractice in one of my final papers this semester and I didn't get any feedback, but I was expecting it. <laughs> but I have that professor again this summer, so I guess we'll see how well, she you feels. Maybe about directly it. ask, ask <laughs> specifically for some feedback. Yeah. I, I think, it, I, and probably. It, I, I actually think you and I have spoken about this at a previous contact, uh, uh, previous podcast is, mm-hmm. is how far back do you have to go mm-hmm. in order to start getting all of that to really change? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, where are the schools that are tr- are training teachers in a developmentally appropriate play-based fashion? You know, yeah. where, where are those schools yeah. and, and who's doing that? <laughs> and I, I, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's it's it reminds me Jack Shonkoff. I heard him speak. Oh gosh, oh, Harvard, five years Harvard? ago, the Harvard guy. Yeah, and um, he actually said he. I'm grossly paraphrasing, <laughs> but he implied that yes, early childhood people in the room. We know that early childhood is birth to age eight, but a lot of those kids at birth are already being born behind the eight ball because mom drank diet coke and smoked cigarettes the whole time or she was getting beaten up or mm-hmm. she dropped out of, you know so he's like he goes he goes i know he he didn't say we have to consider changing the time but he said how far back do you have to go in order to make sure that the early childhood experience that they mm-hmm. get whether it's play based dep or not that yeah. that it's not already set up for 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 failure right. and and that that was like a very very powerful very powerful thought to me. And mm-hmm. and I think it's what got me thinking about what I have since started calling that pipeline problem, which is, you know, you, you got a baby that maybe didn't start out the best possible way possible, but now the two teachers working in the infant room, you know, they never real they they've never gotten it themselves. Right. And we're just stuck in this vicious cycle of like, oh my God, where and I, I don't want to sound all fatalistic and depressing, but it's like, my God, we are rapidly approaching the tipping point of where most people in the profession have no working memory of having a developmentally appropriate experience as a child. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that that makes me scared. Right. Especially when we know that. um which so I, I keep referring to this article, um, and it's over twenty years now old now. So maybe I need to look for some newer information about it. But there was an article I read um, that I refer to a lot that researched um, teachers who had been trained in providing developmentally appropriate practice, and what they what they found was that even with that training, they would revert to their own memories mm. for teaching practice and most of that was elementary school because we don't yep. always remember that you know that far back and so that was a contributor to all interesting this. you send um, me a link to that I will. if you can find yeah. it make a note of that yeah because if it hasn't if that study has not been replicated then somebody needs to i'm got dibs on doing that <laughs> okay i get that doctorate <laughs> Excellent. I could get behind studying that. Yeah, I, I, I would I like really to couldn't. see that too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you make a note? I did. I just wrote okay. it down. You, do you need to see proof of the note? Well, I believe you. Okay. <laughs> I, I believe you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Any any wrap up on that? No. Okay. No. Good book. Good book. Even it, it's, it's a good it's, book. 
It is. Um, and I, we've talked, too, about doing some – in the book, she outlines what the roles of adults are during play, and we've talked about digging deeper into that on the podcast, too. So maybe that's I still coming. Should. I was actually going to tease it, but I didn't want to set you up for, yeah. like, oh, shoot. But, yeah, I, I am still game for doing okay. that. If you, awesome. Uh, if so everybody interested. read the book, and then Lisa and I will come back with some podcasts talking about each of those roles. All right. Well, thanks, Lisa, for talking about this with me. Thanks for having me on again. everybody for listening. We'll see you again. Bye. Bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on.